0: Well Patty, I really enjoyed the episode today about QuickBooks integration, cash discounting, card not present. I mean it's a pretty interesting episode, I think, today.
1: Oh, I think it's chock full of really good information, really good um, advice. Um I think as we said, uh, as we as as Tom set up in the interview and as you said in the questions from the field, uh, this is a real we have there's a real opportunity now for ISOs and agents to go after card not present for cash discounting. Uh, the race is on if yep. you're if if you're ready start going because the opportunity is not going to be there forever.
0: Yep. So we talk about that in the interview with Tom. And then in the uh, questions from the field, I talk about cash discounting compliance and this idea of this opportunity we have with, with card not present. And then Patty, tell us about the insider's report.
1: Uh, I just am uh, transmitting some really, really positive economic news. um, Not just for the holiday season, but the holiday season is definitely going to be bountiful. Um, And I think, you know, some, some really important numbers that put a put a really good perspective on consumer spending
0: love it and, and then of course uh, this episode is brought to you today by nmi.com um, head over to nmi.com and uh, you know that is a, such a great company we're going to talk more about it after the uh, uh, after the interview actually because NMI has some interesting technology along these lines as well that fits nicely into today's
2: episode
1: yeah so you ready James let's go
2: let's go welcome to the merchant sales podcast.
1: Hey,
0: everybody, we're here today with Tom Aronica. He is the founder and CEO of Biller Genie. How are you doing today, Tom? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, you know, I was so excited when I found uh, you through LinkedIn. I know we connected there because, you know, there's been several trusted partners over the years that have the QuickBooks integration and they've all just kind of gone by the wayside. And my consulting clients are always like, how do we connect with QuickBooks? And I'm like, I don't know. Good luck with that. you know." <laughs> um, so I found you, we connected. And so I'm really excited to talk about QuickBooks. And even we're going to weave cash discounting into this conversation as well, which I know is something that uh, you're passionate about. So before we get to all that, though, give us your story, Tom. How did you get into this crazy industry? And tell us a little bit about you know how Bill or Jeannie came about.
3: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I appreciate you having me. I've been following your show for for years now so it's nice to uh you know finally be a a part of it so you know i think i got into payments probably like how everybody else has right like i just fell into it so i got into payments in 2006. um i was introduced to it by a friend i was selling insurance at the time and um you know started an iso in 2008 so grew that iso till it became an acquisition target which i sold in 2013 to my current business partner Um, So sort of the same growth path as most people that get into the ISO business. Um, My shop was traditionally card not present. So we were like 80% moto year after year. And we had tons of QuickBooks merchants that were coming to us asking us solutions for solutions to connect our mids into QuickBooks, right? And it became like a bad word. It became like somebody would say QuickBooks and we'd like try to sell around it or like you know, don't worry about it. Let's put a virtual terminal on the side and you could just double enter the account information or yeah. uh, we'll put a terminal on your desk and you can just, you know, reconcile those batch reports manually. It doesn't have to be integrated. Don't worry. It was like almost like a, a bad word. You'd hear QuickBooks and we'd, we'd run away. And um, I sold everything under the sun. So we sold all of those solutions that you were talking about, right? Previous guests that have been on the show. Um, but um you, you know won't, won't name names but all the other plugins that were that i were out in the market we found that nothing met the need across the board like something worked for quickbooks online but not for desktop but it worked for somebody that did bill payment but not for in-person or subscription billing but not one-time payments um and so i just decided, decided to build it like i knew exactly what people were asking for mm-hmm. i had this vision of what we can build um and after years of trying to fit square pegs into round holes and selling third party products that didn't work and these long setup cycles and pissing my merchants off and ultimately losing the mids. I decided, let me build exactly what people are looking for. Um, and, and that's how this all got
1: started. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, so let's, if you don't mind, Tom, I'd like to sort of like uh, zoom in a little bit or maybe zoom out actually is more the, <laughs> more the, more the expression here. Uh, get a better understanding of what Bill or Jeannie does and doesn't do. So can you maybe give us the elevator pitch on uh, how a merchant that uses QuickBooks or QuickBooks online um, would lever- leverage uh, Biller Genie and, and how they do that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Biller Genie is an accounts receivable automation tool, which is really just a fancy way to say that we help merchant processors, ISOs, gateways, anybody in the payment space connect their mids into QuickBooks, Mm -hmm. you know, QuickBooks owns their own credit card processing company. So traditionally, if you wanted to process payments with QuickBooks, you're relegated to having to use Intuit, right? right? Right, And if somebody's processing with Intuit, they're not processing with, you know, say you, Mr. ISO, right? So our whole goal was we wanted to create a platform that ISOs, agents, gateways, processors, acquirers, anybody in the payments infrastructure could use to enable them to connect their mids into QuickBooks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And at the shortest, and, and we support more than QuickBooks, we're QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Desktop, Zero Accounting Suite, we're constantly adding more integrations. But in the mm-hmm. simplest sense of the term, Builder Genie is a tool just like having Clover in your tool belt or just like having any other gateway in your tool belt, Builder Genie is a tool that helps payment providers connect their mids into QuickBooks or any of our other integrations for that matter.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Super interesting. So, so if we go into a little bit more detail here on the card, not present, because it definitely sounds like that's a little more of the focus here. So, you know, let's say a contractor it's, it's ironic Tom. I've actually had just in the last month or so I've had several contractors that have done work at my house and they either did not take payments or I had to like call over the phone, and they would like give right, mand- right, right. me a paper invoice. And I'm like, seriously, like, email really? me a link, and my secretary will pay this immediately. But like, what do you want me to do, write a check, seriously? So um, I'm just curious from a contractor perspective, as a good example of card not present, walk us through this a little bit. How would they get started with Bill or Jeannie? And then how would they actually go about sending a customer an invoice? Is that, you know, through QuickBooks still, or is it now through Bill or Genie? So give us a little more of the detail yeah. of their experience.
3: Yeah. Awesome. Actually, awesome. Awesome question. So I think that's what makes us really unique, right? Is that I always say like the the, the the little zingers that I say is we're like a turbocharger for QuickBooks, right? So when you think about a business in general, like how many times is a restaurant going to change their point of sale system, right? Probably it's not going to happen too many times in the life cycle of a restaurant. Right. How many times is a contractor or a wholesaler going to change their accounting software? Never, not going to happen pretty. Nope. Hard, never. Right. Maybe right. once in the lifetime of the business Even so, when it
1: drives you crazy. You still still, <laughs> still use it right because <laughs> it's just ingrained
3: in your business and you right. don't have a choice, right? It's just part of right. what you're doing. So right. um, I think that's one of the things that makes us really unique is we're designed to work with the systems that you're already using. So we connect into QuickBooks. We are, you know, again, we're like a turbocharger for QuickBooks. And all we're doing is extracting the invoices and in the customers and then sending the invoices out using the rails of the payment provider, right? So instead of that invoice going out from QuickBooks or Square or Stripe or PayPal, right? That invoice is going out on a hosted payment page that's branded to the merchant. Um, so their colors, their logos, and when the customer makes the payment, we route it over the rails of whatever, you know, partner we're working with. so. You know if you're using xyz credit card processor we just load that mid into the system and that way we capture the transactions um you know on the rails of the processor
1: cool okay so i know that this is you said uh i, I believe you said that your primary focus is in the um card not present but i'm wondering if there's a, a business case for card present merchants you know are there some types of card present merchants where this is a good fit or are you just mostly uh, card not present business types?
3: So what, what I like to say is that generally speaking, we're not retail, restaurant, hospitality, e-commerce, right? We're generally sure. not at that point of sale. So you generally, know, so
1: the, it's it's like an invoice situation, right? Is that what you're saying?
3: Right. And, and, and what's great about it, again, to the previous point, is that they're not creating the invoices in billergy You know, like they just, if they've been using QuickBooks for the last 10 years and they just... Keep creating invoices in QuickBooks. We just have the ability to send it out mm-hmm. to the customer so that way they could make the payment and we just redirect it instead of the payment going out to, you know, into it, the payments going out over the, you know, the processor that we're, that referred us to right. the, the, the business. Right. Um, but there's, you know, exceptions to every rule. So, field service is a great example where we add a lot of value where, uh, you know, that contractor that's, you know, out on the field that just mm-hmm. finished a bath, uh, you know, the bathroom job and, right. They don't have the invoice in QuickBooks already. We give them the ability where they can effectively build the invoice on the fly, process the transaction, and we sync that back into QuickBooks. Um, you know, I think of legal a lot as an example, right? Mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. about a lawyer who's probably sending 80, 90% of his transactions. He's sending the bill in an email, right? Or he's right. stuffing it into an envelope and mailing it out to somebody. But every once in a while, somebody comes to the office and he's going to you know, they're going to hand them the credit card across the desk. Like We, we serve that use case, right?
1: Right, um, right.
3: We're not going to be in a restaurant, most likely, right? You're not going to be, mm-hmm. you know, using Bill or Jeannie at the point of sale in a restaurant. But we have a lot of restaurant clients that 90% of what they do is using, you know, a, a point of sale system. And then 10% of their business is catering. Right. And that 10% sure. of the business, they're sending invoices. And, you know, they use us to just manage, you know, that back office, you know, the 10%. You know, of those transactions. So when I say we're typically not retail, restaurant or hospitality, there's obviously, you know, use cases there.
1: Sure, sure. Let me, if you don't mind, I want to sort of follow up with that because I'm a longtime QuickBooks user. And uh, like like you say, we're kind of stuck with it, you know. I, I I got a little bit perturbed because they like tripled their prices this year, and i was right, like, right,
3: yeah. And, like, and my account, was like, why well, you go with these
1: other but <laughs> <you know? laughs> Yeah, but I'm wondering what about the pricing? I mean, is there is there a pricing differential that makes sense? That would make more sense than say using Intuit.
3: Yeah, so I think first from a pricing perspective is the actual cost of the transactions. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. that really has nothing to do with us. That's the processor that we're working with can charge whatever they want. QuickBooks payments is typically three and a quarter to three and a half percent effective rate. Right. 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 They they advertise a 2.9 percent discount, but they don't tell you about all the hidden fees. We all know that game. Right.
1: Right. Right. Their
3: ACH pricing has gone through the roof. So they're charging one percent up to ten bucks for, um, you know, ACH transactions as well. So as the partner, as our partner in the payments business, in the payments game, right? It it enables them to really go in there and offer some pretty significant price That's savings. what I
1: was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. So from a pure transaction processing perspective, um, it's uh, a 25, 30, 40% savings over what QuickBooks payments is charging, right? Okay. Okay. Um, and then we have a SaaS fee. So we charge, you know, a small $25 a month, SAS feed directly to the merchant. Um, we bill that direct, so there's no, you know, involvement from the processor, having to even get involved and thinking about, do we need to put it on our Schedule A, how do we bill for it, we right. sort of handle all the billing, um, and then we just load their mids into the account. So there's a pretty significant price advantage there.
0: Uh, okay. Cool. One of the things that, you know, kind of dawned on me as we're having this conversation, Tom, is that, you know, I'm afraid a lot of our audience, because they might be disproportionately focused on card present, um, you know, they've sold their card-not-present merchants, but that's not their primary focus. They actually might not be as familiar as the three of us are with QuickBooks. Um, as far as accounts receivable and like creating invoices, and could you touch for just a second on for those people? You know, they may not understand like why is it such a big deal that people will actually use into it, even large businesses, and they mm-hmm. will pay like literally eighty basis points more than they should for processing because they want it to be, you know, within. QuickBooks. What has Bill or Jeannie done to kind of like replicate that or to keep it within QuickBooks? It's kind of a broad question, but can you speak yeah, a little no, bit no, to no. that?
3: Yeah. Awesome question. So, I mean, we've heard in the payments business, integrated payments for years, right? Everybody's right, right. been talking about integrated payments and that's sort of the future and PayFAC model. And uh, we all sort of know that the days of door knocking and walking into a restaurant and saying, I'm going to save you five basis points probably isn't the best strategy to build you know, a uh, 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 a big portfolio. So what we do effectively is we give that ability to bring integrated payments into QuickBooks. And if you think about it, what was interesting to us when we started to really do the research as we were building it, we found that Wall Street reports, 90% of businesses worldwide still handle this process manually, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean that they're going into QuickBooks and they're printing an invoice and stuffing it into an envelope and mailing it out, but you know, think about what we traditionally think of in terms of a V term, right? Or, or recurring billing, right? You go into you know a third-party gateway like NMI or USAE Pay, and you set up a recurring billing schedule, and you have a thousand clients that you're going to bill for $150 on the fifth of the month, and you could set up that schedule and we automate the payment and great, right? We solve. One piece of the puzzle at least nobody's opening up a filing cabinet and t- typing it into a terminal in, anymore right. right right um but what happens on the back end side right in quickbooks they have the same thousand invoices or bills or line items mm-hmm. in, right. in in quickbooks right and somebody's got to take that batch report from the accounting software and they've got to go into quickbooks and they got to say okay invoice number one and then go into the accounting software check and then to the go, the go down that list you know yep. a thousand times like imagine the process for an office having to do this, right? And whether you're sending one invoice or a thousand or 10,000 and a number of transactions that you're doing, the amount of um, opportunity cost and administrative capital and personal capital that you need to put into that to make sure that your books and records are clean, QuickBooks just does it for you, right? When you process a payment inside of QuickBooks, it just syncs it all together right? Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what we do. We give the ability for the merchant, the business owner, to be able to have all of the same benefits of that integration, right? right? Right. The seamless synchronizing the payments, automatically reconciling all that stuff back so that way it syncs together, but we're able to do it through an integrated system using the payment processor's rails. So the payment processor gets the benefit of the transactions, the merchants gets the benefits of the lower rates, they also get the benefit of the, all of that you know, seamless integration and then they get the best of both worlds.
0: Love it, love right, it. Right. Okay, and so- It's that seamless
1: integration, Just to, just to recap, it's that seamless integration that makes QuickBooks stand out from the traditional way of doing things. I mean, and that's why businesses, small businesses like myself as well as large businesses love it because you don't have to go do that manual stuff. Right. And so, and, and from my understanding, I mean, it's like millions of small, mid-sized businesses are on QuickBooks these days, right?
3: Yeah. Well, so again, Wall Street, right? Wall Street says that 53% of small businesses in the United States are card not present, are moto, right? They say uh-huh. sending invoices, right. but mm-hmm. the, the actual majority of SMBs, right? Less than 50 million a year in revenue. The actual majority are the ones that are sending invoices, right Right. and we as payments people have always traditionally gone after the retail the brick and mortar right Mm -hmm. that and especially think about this time of year i'm not sure when the show is going to you know air but we're recording this middle of november um think about the time of year right restaurants not talking to you about switching their credit card processing retail's not going to be thought they're worried about you know black friday closing out their books Uh, whereas this is the perfect opportunity for those service-based businesses where they're looking to cut expenses, where they're looking to optimize process, right? Where they're slowing down and they have the time to actually look at this. This is the perfect time to be able to to, explore this. And again, it changes that conversation from somebody asks credit about QuickBooks and you put your hands up and you're like, oh, oh, we don't wanna deal with it. We don't wanna talk about this, let's sell around it. And what a lot of our partners are doing now is they're targeting that 53% Mm -hmm. of the market, Right. right? So they're going to market saying, hey, look, let's talk about QuickBooks. Let's lead in with, do you send invoices? Let's try to solve a problem and add value into the conversation. So that way, instead of it being merchant brings it up and it's a reactionary approach, now it's, hey, we've got a tool. Let's go after this market because nobody else in the payment industry is. So we've got this untapped market and resource that we could use and go after. And now we're not competing against you know, who's the next guy that's going to come in and, and offer five basis points less than I did. Um, and we're, we give this integrated solution that adds value to the whole portfolio.
0: Cool. Well, and I think too, to your point earlier, uh, you know, it's really not even just QuickBooks. In other words, the the long tail there of other accounting software is going to be zero and, you know, and the others, which right. I think sounds like most of them you already integrate with as well. Um, so right. the question could just be, which accounting software do you use? And the answer is most likely going to be one of the ones that you guys integrate with. So I think that's cool. Okay, so let's let's shift gears here though. Um, and let's talk about a, a topic that's near and dear to the hearts of all of our listeners, which is cash discounting. Right. So yep, um, I was super interested to see how you were doing this. This I went on your website and did a little bit of digging. So talk to us about this. Um, how are you enabling these card not present merchants who, by the way, from what I have seen and heard, uh, are much more open to cash discounting than even card present. Yeah, so um, talk about what you've done with cash discounting and kind of how you structured it through Bill or Jeannie.
3: So I think one, uh, so the magic of how we handle cash discounting, surcharge, we call it technology fees. The real magic is in the reconciliation, right? Um, and if you think about how cash discounting works typically in the environment, right? Most processors that we talk with are putting their merchants on a daily discount and right. they're settling out the net amount of the transaction to the bank account, right? So right. they have a hundred dollar invoice, let's say, or a hundred dollar bill or a hundred dollar payment. And there's a 3% surcharge, right? Or convenience fee or however you want to call it. But we charge the card for $103. And then the next day they get a settlement to their bank account for a hundred, right? Right. What most business owners are doing is they're going into their books and records and they're saying, I got a hundred bucks, right? Right. But They really they- charged the card for 103.
0: Right, and they have to pay sales well, whenever, tax on the
3: 103, and so right, and there's 1099K that comes from the processor at the end of the year. Says so 103, right, right, and they actually had a hundred, 103 transaction with a three dollar fee, right. Nobody right. actually ever records that. It becomes a reconciliation nightmare right. at right? the end of the year. And, their
0: accountant says, "Hey, you didn't pay enough sales tax.
3: Your numbers are off." At the end of the day, at the end of the week, right, right? Yeah, when exactly. you're trying to reconcile the transactions. Right, I got a payment for 103, but I got a deposit for 100. What's going on here? How do we you know, how do right, we manage right. that? So I think that's the magic in, in, in what we do with, you know, what we call technology fees is we automate that entire process. Sure. We have the right revenue recognition. We're able to, um, you know, do the entries into the accounting software to make sure that they recognize the $103 revenue that we can separate out the $100 transaction from the $3 fee we keep their books and records in line. So that way when it comes tax time at the end of the year, or when they're submitting their stuff to their accountant at the end of the month, that it's not costing them thousands of dollars from their accountant to do all this reconciliation work and look at every single transaction, right? We just do it on, you know, on the fly with, with every transaction. So keeping that sales tax compliance in check right? Mm-hmm. Making it match what's actually happening in the batch deposits, making it match that 1099k at the end of the year and mm-hmm. doing so in a way where the merchant doesn't need to do any extra work and the processor doesn't need to do any extra work and it's right. fully automatic. That, right, that's right. the magic of the system.
0: Yeah, and and yeah. talk, touch for just a second on ACH. Um, yeah. Because I believe if I remember correctly, the way you had it set up is like they could do it where like ACH is this like other option where maybe they don't charge a fee or they charge a smaller fee or something. Is that
3: right? Yeah, so today credit debit ACH Apple Pay is supported in the system. Um, They're able to sort of direct the transactions to the least cost route. So if they wanted to charge a technology fee for credit cards, but not for ACH, when that customer gets the invoice, it's going to say, you know, you have to pick, you know, two options for payment, you want to pay by credit card or ACH. You pay by credit card, you know, it'll have the cash discounting language or the surcharging language, you know, or we direct them over to ACH, which, you know, is obviously much less expensive.
0: Yeah. And, And I think that's so crucial because, you know, again, trying to get really practical with this for our audience, like when they're out selling card not present merchants, that is exactly what most of them want. So they they you know the reason that they don't make it easy to accept a card is not because they don't know where the technology exists to do that. It's because they don't want people to pay with a card. Right. The reason right. they don't want people to pay with a card is it's a $5,000, $10,000 furnace job, and it's going to cost them an extra 260 bucks to run the rewards card. And so they don't want to promote that, right? So instead, they're like, mail us a check, even though it's massively less convenient for them. So what they want is the ACH option and then be able to say whether it's a lower fee or it's no fee or whatever the ACH you, most of the processors are able to do that at a lower cost. So anyway, let, let's jump into um, kind of how this technology setup works for the ISOs. Now I want to like, let's shift gears, talk about the ISOs and agents. Um, so my, my first question is just like in general, you know, if I sell for FIS, Pfizer, t whatever, how does this work? Do you have direct integrations? Is there a gateway involved? Like, like, how does that generally work? Or maybe it, maybe it, you know, varies. I don't know.
3: Yeah. So we're completely processor agnostic, right? Our entire distribution model is working with payment providers, financial institutions. So sure. we are designed to work with the rails that our partners are already using. So we have gateway integrations to USA USAEPay, NMI. We're adding, constantly adding other uh, agnostic gateways, right, that support every major platform, we have a few direct integrations, direct to different processors. Um, But typically speaking, we have processors or ISOs or agents that will either set up the gateways themselves and then just feed us the API credentials or some look to us to set up the gateway and we facilitate that whole process and they get a VAR sheet, but we're just completely agnostic. So whatever processor you're working with, so you Mr. ISO are working with, um, we can support, we can load your MIDS you know, into the system. Um, We take a very, 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 very hands-on approach. So I'm not a software guy that woke up one day with a cool idea to build a software company, right? Right. I've been in payments for 15 years. I've been on both sides of the fence. I know exactly what merchant level sales entails, right? And so we built the system to support our biggest clients, which are our partners. So we're extremely hands-on with the sales teams. We help with pre-sales demos. We help sell the deal for, like, help you sell the merchant account, right? And so one of the things we're really, really good at is we work with your teams to, um, you know, help get in the door, right? Um, And then we're extremely hands-on with the onboarding process. So you've sold QuickBooks plugins in the past. Right. Setting one of those up usually requires a degree in computer science, right? right. And it's a right. two week process and it's extremely disruptive. Right. We can set up our accounts in five minutes. So exactly. we do it all. We become like a third party installation department for your you know, pro- ISO teams. Um, right. And we make it extremely easy for you to be able to link your accounts, whether it's credit card, ACH, both, none, um, you know, and then our team's going in there and helping them connect QuickBooks, getting those initial settings, you know set up and we're all sort of have the same goal right get right. them processing within 24 hours of the mid being approved
0: sure right. so um talk to us a little bit about the economic model and you've already touched on this so maybe this is a a really trivial question but um you know i'm, I'm assuming from what you said earlier this is you're billing the merchant directly so the money the processor is going to make is on the processing you know but give us some more detail of, or maybe that's all there is to it
1: yeah the yeah that, model. that, that
3: yeah, that, that's all there is to it, right? So okay. we don't participate in the processing at all, right? We want to enable the processing. So we have a yeah. lot of you know ISOs that'll come to us that are doing 50 deals a month. They start working with Builder Genie and then next week, next month, they're doing a hundred deals a month because they're going after that other 50% of the market that right. now they can right. target, right? So right. it's all about helping to grow mid volume transaction volume. We don't participate in ACH or the credit card transactions at all. Um, we bill the merchant directly that twenty five dollar monthly fee, so that way the ISO doesn't have to deal with anything on their side. They don't have to deal with billing. They don't have to deal with you know receivables. Putting it on their schedule. A, we make it super 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 simple for both the merchant and the ISO to do business with us. And the whole point is, is that we want to add value into that conversation, so that right. way the ISO can sell more mids and get more transactions.
1: Love so, it. The, so the twenty five dollar fee is basically all that you get out of the out of the deal. The 25
0: right. monthly. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Um, well, this has been uh very, very insightful. I know our audience is already loving it. Um, and so my next question and final one here is just where do you send them to learn more about Bill or Genie and and kind of partnering with you guys? Uh, where would you send them to learn more?
3: Yeah, very simple genie.com If you just go to genie.com you'll find all the information about the program. You'll find some basic marketing materials in there, and then you could uh, you know, put your contact information to have one of our partner sales teams give you a call. Um, reseller.dot.billerjeeni.com. You can also email us at Um uh, but reseller.dot.billerjeeni.com. That's going to be your go-to.
0: And you said that email is resellers at right?
3: Yep, resellers plural at billardgenie.com, Or if you right. want to go to the website, reseller singular.dot.billerjeeni.com.
0: Perfect. Tom, thank you so much for taking time today. I know our audience uh, is going to eat this one up, and I really appreciate you sharing the insights today. Yeah,
1: really Absolutely. great stuff, Tom.
3: Thanks. James, Patty, thanks for having me.
0: So, Patty, uh, you know, today we talked to, um, of course, Tom at Billergenie. It has a great right. solution with integrating with QuickBooks, but some of our listeners might be saying, well, what about those clients where I don't, I'm, they don't use QuickBooks or I don't want to get involved in the accounting side? I just want to offer them cash discounting, mm-hmm. card not present. Well, guess right. what? NMI yeah. has a fantastic solution for this where you can add a fee on and they have the ACH option as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, you know, concepts we're talking about today, one of the things that you can do is you can really get a great setup uh, outside of the QuickBooks kind of ecosystem. If you just want a regular old, you know, uh, cash discounting setup for card not present, um, you know, that would be one that I would definitely look at. And I'm sure even, I didn't ask Tom, but I'm sure Bill or Jeannie has an integration with them as well. But um, definitely he look He actually at that. said they did. I did. Okay, good. Well, there you go. Um, so again, NMI, uh, such a great company. Um, if you want to learn more about them, uh, head over to ccsalespro.com slash NMI, ccsalespro.com slash NMI.
2: This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, I want to talk today about
0: cash discounting compliance, and I want to really focus in on card not present. Um, but before we get to that, I actually did a poll last week. It ran for one week on my LinkedIn account, uh-huh. and the question was, are you slash your ISO selling cash discounting and or surcharging? Okay.
1: Okay.
0: So, uh, we had 135 votes, which is pretty good for Except a small do, industry like ours. Tally. Sure. That's a good Sure. That's a good set of data, I think. Um uh-huh. sell cash discounting only 15% sell surcharging only 38% sell both cash discounting and surcharging, which surprised me. That was interesting. Um, And this is the one that I thought was, you know, interesting, especially when you go back a few years, Mm -hmm. only 8% do not sell either.
1: Wow. That's incredible. Because I mean, just, we did a, I remember I did a, a poll like that um, two or three years ago when we first started talking about this, that it was more like 8% did do cash discounting or yes. surcharging and 90% yes. did not.
0: Absolutely. And the 90% were, were telling me that I was nuts for uh, right. you know talking about it. And, um, you know, it's really an exciting thing. It's, uh, it's such a trend. And so, you know, as we continue this evolution, one of the things I'm seeing that's really like the next iteration, you know, will be super interesting is, uh, maybe I'll do this poll next week is, you know, how, what percentage of people are selling cash discounting to card, not present. Right. right I bet right. that we're probably at about 10% there and mm-hmm. in two or three years, that number is going to be 90%. Sure, sure. And so as this shift happens, as we talked uh, today to Tom about, you know, Bill or Jeannie, you know, as mm-hmm. we see the other kind of half of merchants become interested in this, um, I think it's something that is such a huge competitive advantage for our industry because, you know, for whatever reason, for public PR mainly, um, QuickBooks, you know, through Intuit or whether it's Square or whether it's Stripe, um, they really have not gone all in with cash discounting at no, all. You know, not at all. They, they haven't, haven't gone in it. at all.
1: <laughs> really. They
0: have I mean, Square now does have the ability. You can do cash discounting through Square, but you have to work okay. around it a little bit. But it's not like they're out there with a commercial, you know, eliminate right. your processing fees. So this is an avenue for us as these merchants say, well, wait a minute. I want to eliminate my processing fees and I do card not present. So I thought it would be interesting to take a minute to talk about the compliance of all of this and kind of how this works, because people might have questions about, you know, just like Tom was saying a little bit ago, he has technology fees. Well, what's that? And we do a non-cash adjustment, you know? So when we talk about card not present, you have to understand that there are basically two different ways to approach this from a compliance um, perspective with cash discounting. Now, again, if you're going to do a compliance surcharging program, really nothing is that different there. You know, you're going to have to check and see if it's a credit or debit card. You can only charge it on credit. So if you're going to call it a surcharge or, or whatever, you know, you're going to do some kind of a compliant surcharge program, then you know, it, nothing really changes. But the good news is with card not present, there's actually two approaches you can use to kind of um, circumvent that a bit. So the one that the car brands would push you to is something called a convenience fee. Right. Um, and. I'm not going to get into all that today. Maybe I'll do a follow up next week just on convenience fees. They're very yeah, that's complex. That's an interesting
1: topic that probably could requires an, an entire an entire
0: yes yeah, um, yeah. And and I will say right off the bat, I don't really recommend that. Um, it's mm-hmm. uh, very complex from a compliance perspective. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, requirements, but what's interesting about it is, you know, I think in our industry, it's so easy for us to get like zeroed in on payments. Like, Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. we're going to add this fee. It's card not present. It must be a convenience fee. Well, why? Like, we're not the ones adding the fee. We may be enabling the merchant to do that, but the business owner is adding the fee. And whose convenience is it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? And and the business owner can add fees for whatever they want. Like, yeah. Don't you think
1: convenience fee is kind of a loaded term? It is. It is. And I mean, I
0: I, I think it's, you know, Visa and MasterCard's uh, attempt to put a positive spin on the concept of saying, reminding consumers of how convenient it is that they can use their card. Right. But why go down that path when, you know, again, as a card not present merchant, cash isn't even an option anyway. right? Right. All there is is digital payments. Right. So all of a sudden it opens it up for the merchant to charge fees for different things. So in the case of Bill or Genie, what they're doing is they're charging a technology fee. In other words, we are charged our customers a fee because they're you know getting this technology that allows them to pay with their online invoice. Right. right. So right. there's, that's fine. Just like a merchant, a charge a delivery fee. It's like, mm-hmm. well, that's not compliant with visa rules. Visa rules has nothing to do with the delivery fee right. any more than it has to do with the technology fee. Like, right. If you're going to charge a fee for something totally different, like it's an online service fee, you know, whatever. The thing that's interesting about it is we're talking about card not present. It kind of encompasses all the transactions. And so it doesn't really matter. It's not a payment method specific fee. Right. Right. Um, right. And so it's one of the interesting things to get around. Now, again, the ACH, though, is really what's bringing a, a very interesting piece into this mm-hmm. uh, because of a couple trends, Patty, that I think you'll appreciate being the ACH expert. Um mm-hmm. I'm seeing that, you know, ACH as the government is working to speed up ACH payments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And again, as there is still this, you know, significant inconvenience factor for larger tickets. I'll give you a great example of this, Patty. Um, My family and I are going to Disney World in a few weeks. Um, Well, as I think everyone on here knows, Disney World is super, super expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I'm buying, you know, a like 10 day trip for my, you know, entire like family, uh, for Disney world. So as you can imagine buying the tickets and other, you know, meal plans and things of this nature, we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. So I went through the process online. Everybody's excited. I'm putting all the names in and everybody that's going and, you know, we're setting everything up and then I get to the checkout page, right? How do I check out for this transaction? I mean, seriously, Right. I have plenty of money. I don't have a card that I that's going to approve a that's transaction up. of this size. Like, right. you know. Right. And I'm thinking, where is the ACH option here? This is a mm-hmm. no-brainer. But of, course, no-brainer. But of right. course, Disney maybe is a little bit hesitant there because well there's a delay maybe right. the ACH goes through, maybe it doesn't, right? There's no, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little different than the card networks. Um, but it was it was super inconvenient. I ended up having to call my bank It took me like a half hour on the phone with my bank to get them to raise the limit on my debit card. You know, because I'm not going to call my credit card company and say raise my transaction limit there. They'd have to run a new credit report or something. It's ridiculous. Right. Right. Very, very inconvenient. And so I think what's happening is, I think there's a consumer trend towards like, look, I just want to get this transaction over with. I have the money. What do I need to do? And again, whether that is an option to do a buy now, pay later, which mm-hmm. is going to be very popular for the situations where you actually don't have the money and you need a little bit of extra time on the cash flow. Right. Or whether it's ACH, I have the money, but it's in a bank account. Right. I don't have a credit card with the you know x thousands of dollars. Or I don't want to
1: put this on a credit card. I mean, right. even that, right? I mean, right. it's a big thing. I don't want to pay interest on it. I don't want to.
0: Yeah, right. It's going to ding my credit report if I max out you know my credit right. card here. Um, right. And so I think where all of this comes together with cash discounting is we have these trends where merchants are definitely ready to pass the cost of processing on. They're frustrated about it. Um, you have ACH becoming a much more viable form of, you know, electronic ACH becoming a much more viable term of uh, payment, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and then you have technology now that's able to bring this all together with electronic invoicing and giving people that option to say, look, here's your, uh, here's your ACH price here is your uh, credit price, you know, or here's where we're charging a technology fee, here's where we're not, you know, or whatever right. it is, right? They, right? That's that's freedom of speech um, that you're not worried about, well, they can't add something on. Well, no, like on these electronic invoices, they can just make that the price, right? right? So all these compliance uh, idiosyncrasies with card present of like, well, wait a minute, do they need to uh, change their menu to reflect the cash price and the credit price? Do they need to change the prices on the shelf? Well, this is card not present. None of that matters. Right? Right, so, right. So now it's like it just comes down to technology being able to implement something, whether it's just a straight up, you know, here's the fee always or whether we're giving like maybe an ACH option. And for our listeners that maybe aren't as familiar, you know, ACH is like dramatically cheaper to process than credit cards.
1: Actually, yeah, it actually cost a bank about 50 cents to process an ACH transaction.
0: Right. And, and so that would be for, for a lot of card present merchants, that would actually be a big deal. For card right, not right. present, generally the transaction sizes are much larger, right? Um, and so fifty cents on a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, ten thousand dollar transaction right. is, you know, it's trivial.
1: Yeah. yeah, and you know, even if, even those banks that jack up the price, I've never seen a bank charge more than about five dollars for right. an ACH. Right. Well, you're talking a ten thousand dollar ticket, five thousand right. versus what three hundred and fifty? Five dollars versus three fifty? Yeah. Yep. Um, Yep. Yeah,
0: and deal. and so so what I would tell our audience is I really believe that this is a, a time when you can go after you know card not present merchants with cash discounting as again as we talked to Tom about earlier in the episode but um right. this is we have a window here um make no mistake about it you know into it in three years they will be offering this oh, they will figure in it 12.
1: out in less than three years I would bet I, I, I think
0: imagine. so too but definitely in three years and so I think you know we have a window here right and and again mm-hmm. once they do how are you going to ever sell that merchant? Never. Like, what do you have to offer them? Once Intuit goes to all of their QuickBooks customers and says, click this button here and change your setting. If you would like to pass the cost of processing onto the consumer, Mm -hmm. their, their profits are going to go through the roof and Mm -hmm. we're done. We're not going to be able to go after these merchants again. Why would they do that? They're like, look, everything's integrated. I'm not paying any fees. Like everything's reconciled. Like what's the big deal? So we have a window right now where we can go after these merchants and capture that business. And so, I think it's really important for everybody as we go into 2022 and you're thinking about strategy. Think about card-not-present merchants. Think about cash discounting, and maybe even with that ACH option. And again, hopefully reaching out to Biller Genie, like we interviewed earlier, um, and others that uh, that provide good
2: options. In, in yeah, that way. the
1: race is on. Get going.
2: this is the insider's report with patty murphy brought to you by the green sheet for nearly 40 years the green sheet has been the go-to source for news analysis and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals if you're not reading the green sheet already check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com
1: well everybody americans are spending big Consumers spent six hundred and thirty-eight million dollars in stores and restaurants last month, wow. according to the U.S. Department of Commerce. Mm. Th- that's a one point seven percent increase over September, and it was the biggest one-month gain since March, when a f- when the final round of government stimulus checks, you know, boosted spending. Now, uh, inflation, of course, accounts for some of the increase spend, but you know, for example, sales of gas at gas stations rose nearly 47% from a year earlier, but then gas prices rose about 47% from a year. (laughs) You know, so. Yeah, right. But when adjusted for inflation, retail sales in October were still up uh, 0.7% over September and 9.5% over October, 2020. Oh, wow, okay. Which is pretty, you know, pretty significant, especially when you account for inflation. Yeah. Now, you know, a lot of this, Increased spending comes from pent-up demand. Um, economists estimate that American households have a, quote, savings buffer of about $2.5 trillion. Um, that's money they didn't spend going out to dinner and other splurges during the pandemic restrictions. Um, I can I can attest to that. <laughs> you know, no. I, right. I found they saved a lot of money um, from going out. Um, but according to the National Retail Federation, consumer spending has been on a, on the rise much of the year NRF's data suggests spending was up 14.5 percent year over year for the first nine months, mm-hmm. and has returned to pre-pandemic levels for most retail categories. Oh. So you know all of this paints a picture of a robust year-end holiday gifting season. Yeah. Um, you know I know I spoke to this a few months ago, sort of at the beginning, but I did get pick up some data more recently. Uh, NRF had its annual predictions, and they're saying it's going to be the largest holiday buying season on record. Wow. They expect retailers to ring up between 843 billion and 859 billion dollars between now and year end. Wow! Um, that works out to an increase of somewhere between 8.5 and 10.5 percent over 2020. Wow! Uh, numbers crazy. Yeah. Um, evidence points to um, all the evidence points to an early start to the holiday shopping season. I witnessed this myself. I have to say I was traveling the last couple weekends and every time I, every interstate highway exit that led to a mall had backups,
3: really?
0: you know,
1: like huge backups. And huh. it wasn't just in one place. I saw it in Arizona. I saw it in Delaware and I saw it in Maryland. Yeah. I was like, I mean, it, I was quite surprised. I mean, we're talking, you know, like, Half a mile leading up to the exit. Uh, So, mall owners must be happy, I'm sure. And then I was in a a small, uh, kind of touristy town in Arizona called Jerome. I've been to Jerome lots of times. I've never had to drive around the city six times to find a parking place. Uh, But people are just, I think people are antsy. They want to get out and spend. Yeah. You know, the retail data and analytics firm, NPD Group, reports that revenue at retailing establishments during the week ending November 6, posted a 1919% gain over the same period in 2019. Uh. Um, it also NPD also surveyed uh, uh, in October surveyed 3,700 consumers and found that um 40 about um a third, excuse me, about a third had already begun shopping for the holidays on the 6th of November, as of, you know, as of November, yeah. excuse me, as of October. Wow. 42% said they did it. Their early shopping centered around, uh, supply chain concerns.
2: Oh, uh,
0: interesting. Okay. Yeah,
1: And oh. I could see that. I know several yeah, people sure. I know who went out and bought electronics real early. Um, yeah. NPD expects consumers to spend on average $785 on holiday gifts this year with all categories of retailing seeing increased spending. Hmm. And uh, while brick and mortar sales are gonna increase, uh, the scale of those increases are gonna be dwarfed by double-digit increases in online and other card not present sales, which NPD uh, estimates will rise between 11 and 15%.
0: Wow, and it was up last year, like 20%, I think. Right? Or like that. Yeah, so. so
1: this is just, you yeah. know, um, huh. and here's a, you know, the tech giant Oracle. I, yeah. I was doing a bunch of research on data for a story that I did for the for the green sheet. So I was like taking yeah. everybody's data, right? Right. But Oracle found that twenty percent of consumers plan to do most of their shopping in store, and forty seven percent expect to split purchases between online and brick and mortar.
0: Wow. And then you have people like me who plan to do 97% of it online
1: online. You and me both. Right. (laughs) Um, and here's another Mm -hmm. one which you and I have talked about a few times. Adobe expects curbside pickup to be an even bigger deal accounting for 25% of all online orders this holiday season and spiking to 40% of orders on December 22nd and the 23rd. Wow. So, you know, um, I know people have been talking a lot about inflation. My, my thinking with inflation is that, you know, we were so depressed <laughs> last year that if any 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 increase is going to look inflationary. But I think it's good news for retailers and, by extension, good news for our audience because uh, right. a lot of these retailers are going to be ringing up credit and debit card sales.
0: Absolutely. I love it, yeah. Patty. Great stuff as always. Thanks, James.